0: It's the perfect choice for podcasters, so make sure to check it out. Download the free Anchor app, or go to Anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R.fm. Back to the show. The kids on Elm Street don't know it yet, but something is coming to get them.
1: There's something out there, isn't there? <laughs>
0: Halloweenies, a Freddy Krueger podcast. Was locked in a room with a girl who went in alive and came out in a rubber bag. From the Consequence Podcast Network, the minds behind the Losers Club, comes a new podcast in fantasy terror.
1: Nancy, there's something wrong with you. You're imaginable.
0: Halloweenies, a Freddy Krueger podcast. Consequence Podcast Network.
1: All of you wonderful pod people out there. I am your host, Leo Phillips, and this is another edition of This Must Be The Gig, your little backstage pass to the world of live music. Every single week, I bring you a fascinating conversation from the beating heart of the live music and performance scene. And that could really mean chatting to a musician or a festival founder, a choreographer, a comedian, an actor—really, anyone obsessed with performance in the way that we are. But before we dig into this week's captivating interview uh, and uh, tell you a little bit about our guest and our last couple of weeks, let's check in with our constant companion here at TMBGG, Adam.
0: Hey, I feel like you rush right through that.
1: <laughs> I didn't rush. Auction. <laughs> 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 I'm at an
0: auction.
1: <laughs> at an auction. At I will, you know, I'm amazed at those guys. Anyway, how are you? How are you doing this week?
0: I'm doing well. It's been gray and cold and rainy in Chicago, but uh, you were out of town for a bit. You went to Moogfest. Tell me about it.
1: I was eating all of Durham's toffee at Moogfest. (laughs) I'd never been before, but I was invited by the wonderful festival of Moogfest. It is not Moogfest, as we all thought it was, and I found out right before I had to announce that (laughs) in public. Um... But yeah, I had the unbelievable honor of hosting a conversation with the one and only Kimbra, who was our guest on the podcast back in episode 34. We had such a wonderful chat. And this time we really wanted to focus on her life as a synth nerd, because she is, and a songwriter and obviously her process within that, which was so fascinating. And we opened up the floor at the Carolina Theatre, which is just totally gorgeous, uh, we opened up the floor to a Q&A, and I don't know what happened that day, but it was one of the most insightful Q&As we've ever had. That's amazing. And we did it all without a microphone. Wow! The audience, so people were just shouting.
0: <laughs> you got to be pretty bold.
1: They were booming their voices as if they had little Harry Potter wands to their vocal.
0: Cord. I mean, it was Moogfest, so maybe they had maybe, some high-tech gear. Yeah,
1: it, uh, VR. No, maybe they were robots.
0: It very well is could what be. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone
1: attending Moogfest is, of course, a robot.
0: And MoogFest, if you want me to keep espousing the idea that you're capable of roboticizing Issuing. or androidizing people, <laughs> send me some gear. I'll keep telling everybody that's You'll the case. you turn
1: yourself into a robot. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't know why I wanted that sound. French. A robot. <laughs> Um, Or Italian, probably.
0: Did you say rowboat?
1: I did say (laughs) rowboat. Most of the audience, which is what I found actually incredibly moving, was that they had seen her performance, which was the night before. Mm -hmm. So most of them were not only fans, but they were also really excited and intrigued by her performance and wanted to ask very specific questions about her gear, uh, the way she um, each little tick and blip and bloop. That comes out, she's moving her fingers and I'm doing it right now because I'm trying to visualize. I can and, attest to that. Dramatize my, yeah. what I'm saying. Um, and she was just so kind and generous with her time. I also got to speak to a handful of really bewitching people at the, at the festival, which you'll get to hear in the near future on upcoming episodes. So stay tuned for that. I'm not going to say it, but I may say... No, I'm not going to tell you. Don't, let's, I, let's not tell you.
0: I happen to know.
1: Although you can look at my social media.
0: <laughs> I happen to know some of these amazing names.
1: Good good for you.
0: As a, as a producer, you'd hope that I know. <laughs> there, good for you. I'm a detective. Yeah. And I have to say, you're all going to be blown away by these chats. I've oh, already started listening special. to these recordings, got some amazing stuff lined up for the next few weeks But, while we're all hungering for those episodes, leave us a note about how much you love this episode, or the show in general. Shout us out on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, at TMBTGPod. Or, better yet, you can leave your best concert experience as a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts, and we will shout you out. This week, we've got a special shout-out going out to Zachman516.
1: (laughs) Zachman! (laughs)
0: <laughs> Thanks for the wonderful words of support, Zach. I'm assuming your name is Zach and not Zachman.
1: Or it could be Kaz.
0: It could be backwards Kaz. Yeah. <laughs> or it could be it could be someone named uh, 615 and or, the Zach Man's the fun part all that they I'm added. What I'm saying to
1: it. is that I hope, Zachman, that five one six is not your PIN code for your bank. Because yeah. Zach Shibalabalobits yeah, broke.
0: Of, of the uh, Brooklyn Shabalabawavits? <laughs>
1: yeah. Anyway, I think we should return the attention to this week's guest because it is none other than Snow Patrol's Gary Lightbody, who is just the most soothing presence. He's as engaging and enveloping as his band's music is invigorating and kinetic. And since their formation in Scotland in 1994, the beloved. Beloved because I, I I love them. Indie rockers have more than made their mark internationally with multi-platinum records in the UK, Ireland, Germany, Canada, Australia and the US. Not to mention beloved world tours, which I have pleasure of seeing quite a few of these. Even one last year at NASA Live in Lisbon. And part of the intimate connection that fans have with gary and snow patrol really comes from the open-hearted honesty with which he expresses himself even when it comes to the darkness of life on the road and his perspective on the music industry snow patrol have been running around the world in support of 2018's wildness and i caught up with gary as he gathered himself briefly in the midst of that really frantic tour energy so let us not be delayed this is me and gary lightbody Enjoy! And take my hand.
2: Please take my we just finished the Latin American leg of the tour and uh, American, the, the North American tour starts in a week, so I just came here for a week. Um, but no, I'm based back in Northern Ireland again, and uh, in my home, the town that I grew up in. Actually, I, I moved back there.
1: Oh right! Wow. I mean,
2: I mean, I, I've had a, I've had a place there for yes. you know twelve, thirteen years, but uh, I've, I have spent a lot of time in, in, uh, in LA and back and forth between Ireland and, uh, and America. But, but I, um, I moved back, kind of, uh, uh, you know, to, to be closer to home.
1: Yeah. How has that? been to move back i can't even i've been away for so long i i'm just thinking of moving back i mean obviously being close to family is really enriching uh
2: well my niece is my niece is 11 now. i've kind of missed quite a lot of her um her, her childhood oh, i wanted yeah. to i wanted to see her more and uh um, my dad isn't well, and uh, you know like I go. I sort of wanted to be close, uh, closer to to him. And my mum.
1: I'm sorry. I'm sorry to hear about your dad not being well. Also, but do you find like being far away? It depends on obviously where you are, because LA, the time difference between there and Ireland is obviously so much greater. You know, than you know being in London or being anywhere in Europe. So, did you find that difficult to keep in touch? Over the years, when you were based in LA primarily,
2: um, well, I mean, yeah, when, when you're ge- when you're getting up in LA, people are, you know, sort of finishing work and uh, and, and going home in uh, yeah. in Ireland and the UK. Um, I mean, you can catch people in the evening time, but the, but yeah, it is a, it is a little. Um, if you miss the morning in LA, then you've missed the UK entirely, you know.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I always feel, though, at, like, four o'clock, because all my family are back home in South Africa, so at about four o'clock Chicago time is when, like, my phone stops ringing, and there's, like, peace and quiet, and then I can carry on with my day, because, obviously, they are, like, eight hours ahead of me. Um, mm-hmm. But so, did you? do you find yourself feeling maybe much more creative when you are in motion and traveling just after all the years of doing so or do you find that being obviously close to family and having that more a more settled approach do you find that being equally creative?
2: Um, I'm not sure. I, I, I know that uh, movement isn't uh, uh, movement for me. Is kind of anathema to create creativity because uh, you know, like I don't tend to write that much on tour. Although we have done on this tour a little bit, but mm. uh, you know, in the previous 20 years, um, I haven't um, I haven't written that much on tour. I need to be oh. in the one place, and generally, you know, like for a little bit of time you know, things need to settle too. It's not just like, oh I'm in the one place for two days, let's write a bunch of songs. That tends not tends not to work out. Um so, um yeah, I do like to be in the one place. I, I find LA great for a lot of things. Um creativity, um not Uh, not entirely it's too sunny I want to be outside. I'm kind of like a I'm kind of like a human equivalent of a golden retriever I I just want to be outside you know like uh, running around um, in the sunshine
1: I mean I'm not gonna lie that's exactly why I feel like I I I sound a little maybe you I mean you don't know me but I sound incredibly frazzled today because my, like, heart is outside, and although I love my work and I love what I do, I'm feeling like I don't know what to do with all this vitamin D. Like, it just, it, it, it needs to be, like, I need, to, like, break a hole in the wall and let it, like, shine, shine through. But no, I understand what you're saying. But, do, so, do you find, though, that obviously having that restriction of those, say, as you said, two days, do you find that that's putting more pressure on the writing and the writing writing almost needs to be a little bit more fluid for you to write but you do need to have
2: oh I mean it'd be amazing it'd be amazing to it'd be amazing to, uh, to somehow manufacture fluidity but uh, <laughs> you know unfortunately it tends not to it tends not to work that way Um, uh, you know I uh, The last two albums, you know, even though they were seven years apart, um, Mm -hmm. I had an awful lot of writer's block for the first, really, the first time in my in my life. I never really struggled that much, but I was also trying to tap into something a little deeper um, on the second to last record, and then something much deeper on this this most recent record. So I think that probably had something to do with it as well. The writer's block—it wasn't so much just that I didn't know what to write about uh, you know by the time I figured out what I needed to write about it just seemed um it just seemed like I had to go too deep to mine it um mm. and I wasn't um I wasn't entirely prepared for that particular descent but um uh you know I, you know over time I just started to sort of acclimatize <laughs> to,
1: yeah, to having um, having it come out yeah of course but writer's block is a strange phrase, right? I don't know. I feel like it's it's almost uh, debilitating. And I feel like some people use it as this, uh, this, this thing, this attack against uh, creatives. And I feel like it's sometimes, I don't know if it felt for you like a block as such as a, it just wasn't the right time. I'm sure you've moved past it. You've created work that people love and I love, but at the time that it happened, were you as conscious of it? Were you as aware of it?
2: Yeah. I mean, I was definitely aware that nothing was happening. I don't know if I attached the, I've attached writer's block to it more than, uh, you know, I've sometimes called it life block because I, I, you know, I just genuinely didn't know what, you know, um, what I was doing in a lot of, a lot of sort of areas of my life. Um, uh, it wasn't just writing, most things were kind of either in stasis or you know actively falling apart mm-hmm. so um so it wasn't so much that it was just like the writing uh, it was it was a lot more than that. but uh, you know like once I got my head straight and started to um uh, started to get some clarity. Um, and figure out what I actually wanted to write about um uh, things started to flow um pretty quickly, so I think you know uh, you know you know if i can even though i'm uh, an obsessive reader of history and mm. uh it 's my favorite thing to do is my pastime uh, i i also um uh, i'm pretty bad at remembering my own <laughs> history so whether I take a life lesson from it or not i don 't know. know but i hope that the, the next time we co- i come to write, I realize that you know um it, it 's about trying to find clarity in 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 life and not just uh um uh, not just in your work but um actually just maybe trying to settle into yeah. uh into some peace and quiet rather yeah. than trying to force something to come out
3: totally. um, cuz
2: generally when you still the mind uh, things just start to bubble up to the surface anyway and you can um uh sort of pick them off the surface rather than trying to like uh, um you know put a diving bell on and descend to unimaginable father
1: <laughs> but i also feel like you know people expect all writers or people in the arts or anyone creating anything to have uh th- to be able to lay everything bare even when those bare things are hidden you know so it it's like this enormous pressure to delve into our past and know exactly what it what it looked like and the truth is is that i think that reflection or maybe that's just my opinion of it but i think that reflection of a really difficult and trying low time or wobbly time is incredibly powerful because you're using the insight that you have gained from getting out of that as well and then also using you know your ability to look at yourself from a different angle which is so hard it's so difficult to revisit that um Mm-hmm. so I find that that's, yeah. that's quite interesting, so you don't journal or keep a diary or anything of that nature
2: i used to i mean i write i write a lot um you know like just uh, uh in the course of a, a day but i d but those those scribblings tend not to actually you know turn into songs they're more just sort of thoughts you mm-hmm. know um sometimes i'll have like I've got all these grand plans of one day, you know, making movies and things like that, but uh, oh, wow. they'll, they'll never come to pass.
1: Why? Um, Wait, why? I, why wouldn't it come I, to pass?
2: I know. I just, I know. I, <laughs> I, 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 like, i you know, like, I think. Not that I'm blaming songwriting; it's been very good to me, but uh, <laughs> um, I, I, I don't, uh, um, I, I, you know, like, I don't. Um tend to have the follow through on like, like a longer project. I've tried to write novels before, and you know I suppose everybody's got a half finished novel under their bed, but I have twenty twenty yeah yeah <laughs> um and uh you know like it's it's i just you know like i used to the way I used to write songs was you know like it would take me five or ten minutes to write a song uh so I guess wow. that uh, over time accumulates into Um, maybe not having the the, the sort of staying power to do something uh, uh, in a longer Mm. format. Right, Um, it doesn't come quickly. Although, you know, like, I don't want to just blame that. Um, I I could just fucking, you know, tie myself to the chair and and, and try really hard. But, uh, you know, (laughs) I don't seem to want to do that either. Um, I so feel like I, you're like
1: starting so. to strap your arm around your chair as we speak. Yeah, no, I, I, get, yeah. I know what you mean, though. But it it's not necessarily blaming the one uh, um, valve that, if I can call it, that's open. It's also just honoring what is available right now. So I feel like whether or not you see it, I, I feel like a lot of your lyrics and the things that you've been musing on and writing about could essentially be poetry it could be it could turn into a novel um you know what i mean so it's just the format that you're choosing i don't necessarily think um that it is the one or the other you know and that's what people who are like severely ambitious um do they just turn all these things They use all these different formats. Um, I don't know how they do it. I mean, what do you feel like your fear is then in terms of actually going to that medium? Do you feel like you would lose an aspect of the songwriting world like within you? Or do you you just don't have the energy to feel that right now?
2: No, no, I don't. I don't think there's there's fear in uh, songwriting going away um, any more than there has been in the past. Uh, uh, you know, like I just think that I don't really have the follow through to um, to make um, you know uh, a movie, even though I uh, really want to. Um, but we'll see. It might happen in the future. It might not. Um, and I'll I, be like, you, know, you like, told um,
1: me once that it was gonna happen. <laughs> indeed,
2: indeed, indeed.
1: Um. But so, what? What kind of movie would you make? I don't. I wouldn't even. Um.
2: Probably something quite strange, to be okay. honest. Uh, um. So, uh, You know, I don't know. Michel Gondry, Spike Jones type area. But yes. uh, but I don't know. We'll we'll see.
1: How do I phrase this? I'm just trying to. I'm wondering about what you need in order to write like what do you have to have in order to write what are the things around you that you need or what is the moment you know what is the feeling that you need to tap into
2: well I need a guitar um to write uh, a song I can't I I don't sit down and write the lyrics first I'll I'll sit down and figure out a melody Mm. first and then I'll write lyrics to that melody um sometimes there is um, a long period of time between the melody being written and the lyrics being written. I'll tend to write the lyric. I write a lot of melodies. I mean, there's uh, over six hundred songs written for Wildness on my phone. You know, like on my phone uh, record or whatever.
1: Wow. What? what? Yeah, but I mean, what? I, I what? don't
2: write lyrics for all those okay. songs uh, um, because you know it's uh, that's I, I wait until it comes up to recording and then, you know, we'll record 20 songs or 25 songs. And, uh, and those songs I write lyrics for, um, because I don't want to write a bunch of lyrics for a bunch of songs that I'll never see the light of day. You know, it's not um, that, that's, that I tend to want to figure out what the best mm-hmm. songs are going to be for the record before I start writing. Sometimes lyrics come at the same time, uh, as as uh, writing the melody, but very rarely these days. You know, like initially, it's just a guitar and a recording device. Um, you know, my phone is, does the job. Um, and then, uh, you know, I know I I I write with a pen and a piece of paper. You know, no pad um, more than I do on the laptop. Uh, I tend to feel the blank page of a notepad is um less stern than the flashing cursor of the bright white Mm -hmm. uh, word empty word document um so i find it's uh i find it's more um gentle on my fragile mind (laughs) (laughs) to, to work with uh you know
1: paper and pen no i have i mean i feel the same it's there there is some there is something about it although obviously writing in 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 ink you can't backspace but there is something so harsh about i think it sounds like you're a visual person as well which i think melody feels visual sometimes just for me i suppose because my brain works in pictures and if you are all those senses and typing and the starkness of that cursor blinking is very it's very unfair sometimes to be faced with that, but there's something much more, uh, we used the word earlier, but fluid about writing on a on a piece of paper. But is that how you started? Like when you were much younger, were you writing things down if you thought about them or did you go straight to the guitar? You know, when did all of this start?
2: Well, there was sort of two moments of picking up a guitar um one like when I was eleven, I mm-hmm. uh, I asked my mom and dad for a guitar for Christmas. They okay. got me like this one uh, in the back of a like a um, music magazine. They used to sell these guitars called axe guitars um, for a hundred pounds, and you got wow. a, a, an amplifier with it. <laughs> yeah, um, and it's basically um, some kindling with strings on it. Um, and, uh, you know, like it's, it's a very, very sort of cheap guitar. But it was, you know, it, it, it for somebody who's never played a guitar before, it's perfect. Um, and uh, I picked the guitar. I was listening to, when I was 11 or 12, I was listening to a lot of metal. Um, so um, Metallica, Anthrax, Maiden, uh, Megadeth, oh, wow. that sort okay. of stuff. Um, um, ACDC isn't metal, but they were another band that I loved um and um i uh so i was i just assumed that in the same way that i still assume when i sit behind the drum kit that i'm going to be able to play the drums and then (laughs) when i start playing i realize i can't (laughs) i um i I, uh, i i thought when i picked the guitar up i'd obviously be able to play it immediately and be able to lead solo like angus young um and i realized that it was I realised just how long the road was <laughs> but, but like, like between yes. where I'm sitting right this moment as an 11-year-old yeah. playing, holding a <laughs> holding guitar for the first time and where Angus Young is. Yes. Uh, you know, like it seemed like light years away. It seemed like um, people living on Mars-type yeah. distance. <laughs> um, and uh, I just put the guitar back in the... Uh, well, not back in the cupboard. I put the guitar in the cupboard. And I never thought about it again until um, I was on the bus uh, going home from school with uh, my friend. um, And at lunchtime, um, albums used to come out on the Monday. um, And uh, uh, Monday lunchtime, he had gone out off school grounds to the nearest Um, music shop and bought the cassette tape of Nevermind by Nirvana.
3: Oh, wow. And he'd
2: he'd (laughs) listened to the first half of it um, and somehow (laughs) during class probably. And uh, so the second half of the tape um, was about to start and he um, gave me one of his headphones Mm -hmm. to listen to. And in those days, there was no like um, sort of, uh, you know, like separate, like earbuds yes it was no it, those it that, headphones the, yeah
1: the those like ones.
2: orange <laughs> orange headphones yes. that you basically had uh, to twist if you were going to use the yes, other side to it. you had to them. twist it around <laughs> so i was listening you know, it was very awkward kind of listening um uh, uh and the first song on the sec on the b side of Nevermind is is territorial pissing so the first thing i heard from nirvana was Come on, people now, smile on your brother, everybody get together, try and love one another right now. And then territorial pissings slammed me in the fucking (laughs) face like a monster hammer from the other dimension. And my whole rest of my life just hoved into view. I knew in an instant that all I ever wanted to do was this, was whatever this is, I want this.
1: But it does uh, like hit you, especially those formative years and like how intimate it is listening on headphones. I feel like when I was growing up as well, just listening on headphones all the time or, you know, like blasting my CD player or tape player. And those when when I don't know if if does music hit you the same now? Because obviously it hitting you like that is is something like you know, it's out of this world. It's either worldly when that happens, when, when music can do that. Do you feel like music can hit you like that now?
2: Yeah. Some every now and again, something comes along that, that, that really, um, you know, sort of gives me a, you know, an extraordinary kind of lightning bolt, mm. but, but, but I don't think it'll ever, I think the first time of, of having your, I mean, it, 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 I went into my ancestors it changed my <laughs> DNA you know I I, yes. I you know like uh, that can't that can't happen twice you know what I mean maybe the first time I heard Marlena Shaw California soul um uh, you know uh, when at a nightclub um played by Tom Simpson who ended up being in snow patrol for a while um yes. long time um when I heard that for the first time, and it sort of changed my perception of, as an indie kid, nineteen-year-old indie kid, um, realizing that there's this whole other dimension of music out there, and, uh, and I got into soul music and hip hop and mm-hmm. house and electronic and all kinds of things, and ended up being a DJ for 15 years. But it, 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 oh, it, wow. it, uh, it, it, you know, like it's, it, it's that was that was another kind of tectonic shift in my sort of musical appreciation. But there's there's never anything quite as emphatic as the first time that it hits you in that way. You know, for all the love that I have of metal and heavy hard rock, up to that point, Nirvana, Nirvana still changed everything when I heard them for the first time. They they were the the catalyst for for the next for my entire mm. adult life. Really, they were the reason why I wanted to be in a band and they're the reason why. I'm talking to you now.
1: Yeah. Was there, was there a concert or a performance that you went to that shifted that as well? Because I always find that obviously having that shift and having that incredible thing happen where you just like, Oh, this is, this is it for the rest of my life now. Well, like what, what was the first concert that you ever went to?
2: Well, second concert I ever went to was Nirvana in Belfast. What?
1: Um, uh, you saw them? Yeah, I was That's amazing. 16 years
2: old, 1992. Oh, uh, I yeah. saw them playing Belfast. The, the very few bands would come to Belfast at the time because yes. it, it was a pretty bad situation. But it, yes. um, but the bands that did come, we took to heart for the rest of our lives. The very first gig I saw was the year before, 1991. It was Red Hot Chili Peppers and Rollins Band. Oh, my
3: gosh. And,
2: um, <laughs> those bands can uh, do no wrong in my eyes yeah. they are forever enshrined on the Mount Rushmore of my musical <laughs> life
1: just uh, yeah. Antoniki's face just right there in stone no, but just th- right there <laughs> winking at you um, but that band I mean watching that band live is is kind of nuts because I think that his perception of space is what I love and I feel like I saw you last year play at uh, I shot you at NOS Live in Portugal and I hadn't seen the band feel so alive and so long you know you you always felt like you were having fun but you were having so much fun <laughs> I was just kind of in awe of that and I feel like not to say that you perform like Red Hot Chili Peppers but your sense of space is really wonderful if that makes sense and I feel like he you know make sure that he's not just the front at the front and in this isolated bubble and I feel like you do that as well you very you you are very perceptive of your band and I feel like you're always interacting you know even in music videos and things like that and that's is that something that you've thought of and worked on or is that just totally natural for you?
2: Well, to be frank, I had never thought about it before. So I guess there has to be an element of it being natural. But um, I will say this. I, I, when we first started or when, uh, you know, like uh, I was 18 or me, when I sort of formed the band, I couldn't look up from the, you know, like uh, people talk about shoegazing music. We, we were literal. I was literally a shoegazer. <laughs> okay. I, couldn't, I couldn't look up oh, at the wow. crowd. And I had this permanent Red face, I was embarrassed by everything <laughs> I was embarrassed by by living I was embarrassed by talking to other human beings yes. i was embar- I, just everything embarrassed me um, um, and so certainly not that there was very many people at our early shows by any means, but even if there was ten people at it, there was still ten people looking towards me and yes. I was terrified by that um, so it, it was a long time um trying to I'm not even trying to but um just sort of i think over time it just naturally i started to get more um i don't even know if confident is the word but um outward looking um and uh, and that started then to develop into confidence and i think it wasn't until geez i mean 10 years into our career really when we toured with U two in two thousand four mm-hmm. and I saw for the first time what it is to be a frontman up close. Um I'd never uh, even though I was a massive U two fan, I'd never seen them live which is almost like criminal for an Irish person. But um <laughs> yeah. Um and now that we toured with them so many times I've seen them live like I I mean every night every time we toured with them um I watch them every night, you know what I mean? So oh, I've seen amazing. them over 50, 50 times. It's like, a le- it's the greatest lesson you can have uh, as far as Fresh I'm concerned in, in being a band uh, is watching you two play uh, because, uh, I mean, I learned so much from it. And I started to learn, I don't know, like, I guess, feel how to make an audience, a big crowd feel small and a small crowd feel big. It's like this... This this sort of um, magic trick that that that, <laughs> that you can that you can do if you um, if you know how, um, and uh, it's um, you know it's just basically making it making the people right at the back feel part, just as part of it as somebody standing in the front row and that
3: yeah
2: and that you know that's what Bono does with I mean as, uh, better than anybody, um, and uh, you know like I guess I learn more from them directly you know like you've talking about Anthony Kiedis and Red Travers, and they were the first band we ever saw alive. i think it was more of a kind of a, 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 a um osmosis
3: yeah um, but, Learning from but your with peers. you two, yeah. it was
2: it was like it was it, it felt like it was a direct link i was like every time we would play obviously being the support band and then they would play and then the next night our show would be better and then we'd watch them again and then the next night our show would be better and we watched them again, and the next night, and and so on, and it was just that that sort of like feel like you were like uh, <laughs> graduating from some kind of rock and roll university or something.
1: But isn't like isn't that the whole rule of even just friendships and relationships in life is that if you surround yourself by people who you feel are better than you or you look up to, not necessarily mentors or role models, but just people that are are utilizing a skill that you you know, that brings wonder to you, which I think we don't do often anymore. You know, we we don't daydream a lot anymore and we don't, we're not, it's not, things are so readily available. So having that right at your fingertips and sharing that stage, I think is quite a, it's a transformative experience, I can imagine. And especially that having that crowd. So you basically had that crowd, you know, had their crowd just moments before, which is kind of sacred right you you have to treat their crowd uh in in the in the proper way like i feel like people don't give enough credit to opening opening acts you know it's such a hard such a hard thing to do
2: it it is uh, the, the 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 but the easiest time we ever had opening for anybody was with you two their crowd are really really wonderful we still to this day um um but 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 a hell of a lot straight after those tours that we did with them, um, people would hold up signs saying "You two fans love Snow Patrol" at our show Oh, amazing! Like they would, <laughs> we, like we 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 got like got we got event. so many fans from from their shows that yeah. um, you know, like it really, you know, when you see it have a direct impact like that, it really makes you feel like you're you're not like sort of a, it's not an uphill battle, you know, like it's it's not sort of an incremental kind of. Grind. It feels like, oh shit! That was that was a real, a real shift that that, that you can actually see see happening right in front of your eyes. You know.
1: But then, so how did you take that in terms of obviously growth and just continuing to perform? Because going from a shoe gazer, a little shoe gazer, and obviously you mentioned you were DJing for fifteen years, which is also kind of like photography. You have this weird, you know, safety blanket almost. You know, you're behind. You, you are the center of attention, but you are not the focus, if that makes sense. Like, you are the enabler, mm. you know? Um, yeah. And then going from that to performing with... I remember... I mean, you toured in the early days with, like, Ash and Travis. And yeah. I know okay, you... Yeah. Not in the early days, but I know you came to South Africa, like, 10 years ago, I think it was, when, like, we- already... What yeah. was that? 19, uh,
2: 2000, 2009, yeah, I yes. think it was, or 2008. It was yeah. uh, the Coca-Cola Festival yes. Johannesburg <laughs> and Johannesburg and Cape Town. And it was, Cape Town. was brilliant. Yeah, yeah loved I it. know.
1: I saw you in Cape Town, and I, like, went out afterwards, um, and I at that time I was, like, Quite a heavy smoker. It's been very, very many years since that those days. And I remember giving. I think it was Paul. He was like at the club where, that we were at. And I think I gave Paul like a Siggy And I remember thinking like, oh, that's the guy from that band. <laughs> like it was such a because you know like a lot of bands don't tour to South Africa. Just like Belfast, although those were political reasons as well. Um, South Africa has you know it's, it's just so much further away. You know, like Australia, it's so easy to tour because then you can just hop over, you know, to Melbourne or Brisbane or Perth and then go up to Asia. You know, South Africa doesn't have anything immediately around it. So it's so difficult um, for touring bands. But when you were then starting out, I know that obviously you were you trying to focus on your performance aspect of things when you were getting bigger or, like, how much did you connect to live, to you performing live? How much, you know, how much focus did you give to that?
2: I think I got to a stage in, uh, um, you know, in the latter kind of period of our last sort of long tour. Um, like, we we toured pretty solidly from 2003 to um, uh, 2012. Yeah, um, it's a long time. And, uh, I don't want to blow my own trumpet, but I, I got reasonably good at being a front man, um, and uh, Wait, what that's did you now? You did... Give <laughs> what did you um,
1: babble? Uh, that got... you you don't know what you're saying.
2: <laughs> no, you know, like, uh, um, it's it's a uh, you know, like I I feel like I got like reasonably good at being a front man, and and yes. and and, 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 uh, and then you know we went away for seven years, and 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 I kind of it took a little bit of time to get that back, you know. Um, and I think I've just. You said you saw us at that um, at, at, at the festival in Portugal last year. Yes. I, I don't think I had it. I don't think I had it back by then. I really don't. I think I have it back now. But I don't think. I think that was too early in the tour.
3: Um, oh, are you kidding? And, uh, you were
1: like jumping uh, around and you're a tall dude. You were like, my husband is like six, seven and he doesn't get any height. Like you were jumping. I cause you, it was, I mean, also the, what what was so great about that performance, which I, is why I highlighted it is because the Portuguese, the crowd um, just knew every single word, which I'm sure you so used to because of your songs being, very very catchy and you know they connect on a different level but the crowd was just going nuts you're not giving yourself enough credit for that show I'm telling you take my word for it
2: <laughs> well well thank you I appreciate that you you're, you're uh, you've had a different experience with than I did but but then again I can only have the experience that I have in my of head course. sometimes you know you get in you get in that uh sort of um uh, headspace uh, when you're on stage and you uh, you can't get out of it. But
1: so in terms of then performance and, and feeling that energy, when you don't feel it then, what do you, how much of yourself do you allow? Because obviously I know that this record is incredibly important. And while you were gone for seven years, you were still, you were still writing and still doing things. It wasn't like you totally disappeared. So coming back and then with this, collection of songs do you feel like these songs have dictated a another path toward performance for you do you feel like you are much more energized to deliver them as you maybe toward your other songs
2: i think they took they they did take a little bit longer than uh, than some songs have taken to sort of integrate um for for me personally i feel like they integrated themselves pretty well in terms of audience reaction, per, uh, very very early on, in fact, from our first shows back, um, they fit they fit in really um, seamlessly or seemed to. But with my own performance, I felt like um, the new songs just um, uh, there was maybe it was the nature of the you know like the the, uh, the, the meaning behind them, mm. but for whatever reason, uh, they were harder to kind of. Um, perform, but um, once they clicked, now they feel, you know, they feel very second nature. Especially uh, there's a song called "Heal Me" on the record, which has become my favourite song to play live. It's got some, it had some radio in the UK, but it didn't have radio anywhere. It wasn't a single anywhere else, and yet it has as good a reaction as any of the songs on the new record, which is a testament to to to. to um, to, to I guess to the feeling that I'm feeling in that I'm having so much fun playing it, and that's translating out into the audience whether or not they know it it doesn't halfway through they everybody sort of connects with it people go people start to clap on mm-hmm. mass, even though it's a brand new song which you don't normally no. experience don't normally see a sort of a mass clapping session going on to a song that nobody knows. Um, it's uh, something about that song has just sort of transcended. It's you know it's uh, you know it, the album track status that that that, that yeah. normally means a song won't won't translate. Certainly not to a festival crowd, which is what we which is what we've experienced with it. Do you
1: feel like though? Like I wonder if writing about you know because you you write a lot about life and love, and of course you've spoken so openly and generously. I really do appreciate how much you've spoken about mental health and. Obviously, you mentioned your dad earlier. You know, you share you share quite a lot you know, of your personal life through your music and also just generally. So I wonder if writing about that influences not just the subject that you write about, but the way that you write. And that then has influenced how that song's being received. Do you feel like there's any sort of connection to that shift?
2: I don't know, because most of the songs on this new record took such a long time to write. It mm. felt like they were they were, um, it's hard to find that connection between a song that took a long time to, mm-hmm. to to write and the immediacy of an audience's reaction to it when they hear it live for the first time so, or, or, or not. It, in some cases are, you know, sometimes a song doesn't get a reaction, but um, we've been very lucky that most of the songs have got reactions in most of the places that we played them. When a song has taken five years, for for example, Life on Earth, the first song on the album, yes. took five years to write.
3: Oh my god! Um,
2: it's very difficult to kind of sort of see a connection between the writing process and the live, the live experience, um, because it's kind of being eked out of you, you know, <laughs> and then, and then the, the final moment of it uh, to, certainly to an audience member experiencing it for the first time is just 5 minutes long sure. you know it's just 5 minutes of their life <laughs> but it was 5, five years, years of my life so it's um it like you know that. it's a strange it's a strange kind of um a dis disconnect you know
1: But then how do you make sure that you are because i feel like a lot of you know as fans you expect so much of an artist and they give and give and give and it's it's such a tiring sometimes and also enlivening relationship. But then, how do you make sure that when you are delivering those songs, you don't fall back into whatever happened in those songs? You know how how much are you connected when you are performing? Like, does the song, you know, because there's different stages. You're in the rec in the recording studio. And then the songs out there, you know, it has different stages. A song has many lives. So how much do you connect to that song when you're actually singing it? Like, you know, going on tour now to, to North America, how much are you going to connect to the to the lyrics as opposed to just feeling the melody and the crowd?
2: Well, I'm not speaking for anybody else because um, how, how would I know? But, uh, but for me, from my own personal experience, I think it's important that... You play the song in the environment that it's in and not uh, you know uh, to you know not to the meaning of the song every night i think you're you're on for a, a really tough touring life if you have to relive you know sort of um uh, post traumatic stress yeah. um disorder or whatever yeah. um every night it's uh you know so I tend to you know you said. Uh, when you saw us in Portugal, I looked like I was having a lot of fun. I am having a lot of fun on, on stage almost every night because I'm it, I'm enjoying or trying to enjoy the experience that's actually happening and not think too much about what um, the songs mean mm. Um, mm. without um, completely forgetting what they mean. Mm. <laughs> because yeah, really. I've also, yeah. I've also got a give the song you know the 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 passion and the empathy um uh, the energy that it deserves but um but without um getting too um embroiled in, in maybe the uh, you know sort of emotional or psychological kind of um turmoil that it might have might have come from yeah. i just don't think it's it's useful to anybody um, uh, to kind of relive that every night because you just—I'd be in tears uh, <laughs> through a lot of shows. No, and, I know, uh, but that's I've, what I always I've wonder. Cried, like... I've cried on stage before, and I uh, and I know that I can't sing after I've cried, so there would be no point. When did you no cry on stage? Every night.
1: When did that happen? Was it was it a particular uh, song? Well,
2: we played the one and only—the one and only time we played "Soon," which is the song with my oh. dad. Uh, we played it in uh, we played it in Belfast, and he was there. Yes. And uh, I, 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 I got all the way through it up until the last line, and I, I broke down. But I, we, it, 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 was too, it was too much for me. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And I, you know, unfortunately, we, you know, we'll just not be able to play that song live probably. But, uh, um, but that's that's one song that I couldn't separate. Um, So uh, all the other songs I've been able to
1: To separate from Which I think is really healthy right Because I think that whole balance is really important But how do you then Going out with this And obviously you know Dealing with so much in your personal life And then that juxtaposition of having These crazed fans You know just adore you And working really hard with your band Because your band are so wonderful as well How do I phrase this Like how do you stay within yourself you know, because so much of touring is giving a lot of yourself away as an artist. So how do you make sure that you, I don't want to use the word grounded, because I find that's problematic. But how do you m- make sure that whilst physically traveling and relocating, um, that you have a bit of yourself still kind of to yourself? Does that make sense? <laughs> you know, like you yeah, keep yourself I, I, close. I do. How does it? How do you do that?
2: I take. Kick- a fair amount of time during the day to myself, um, I do my practices, um, uh, my meditation and qigong and stuff uh, and also just hanging with the guys. Um, you know I mean there's a reason why some bands last twenty five years and other bands last twenty five totally. minutes it's, yeah. it's, it's because we love each other. Um, and all the things that go with that, you know we've been through a lot together, we've had some very difficult times as well. But we've come at the other side of that we know we know that um the main thing is that um we are you know we're in this together we are brothers and we love each other and also nobody makes me laugh like those four um men mm. you know they are just the most hilarious people we just spend the day laughing and that is what makes the tour feel a lot shorter than, yeah. <laughs> than, than it would feel if we weren't having fun, you know. And it's not a laugh riot every single minute of the day, but it, um, but there is an awful lot of laughter, <laughs> and that, that really helps.
1: Yeah, and also just having that, uh, f- you know, family around you, I, I suppose I can call them that, because you've been together for so long, there's that familial connection that you have. Yeah. But then, so when you have had... Because I know I read a while ago that you had to cancel a tour because you had issues with your voice and w- when things like that and you go through experiences like that, it's essentially like an athlete, you know, getting an injury and having to miss the time, you know, that it's put toward training and, you know, fulfilling that dream. So how how do you make sure then that you're also taking care of yourself physically going forward?
2: At this stage, after we've done so many shows, you kind of know what, what makes life worse on tour and what makes life better. And trying to get some sleep, um, it makes life better, uh, staying up all night makes life worse. You know, I mean, right. it's just like, okay. sort of like simple, uh, um, kind of, uh, remedies for things, um, to, uh. On the, this upcoming tour in North America, there, there's, you know, like, it's it's, it's compact. Normally, we tour America sort of between sort of seven or ten weeks. This is five weeks, six shows a week, generally. Wow. Um, that is... That's harder on the voice, for sure. Um, and it's just a matter of trying to, um, uh, you know, like, be as kind... Um, to myself as possible in the in the sense that just like trying to get you know sleep and trying to get rest and not um uh, not doing um too much other than the shows really because um, i'm 42 years old you know what i mean it's like i just I'm not, i don't have elasticity anymore
1: oh come <laughs> on, come on like 33 and you're making me feel old come on you're 42 uh, no. 42, yeah, Dude, no, 42 is young. <laughs> <laughs> so when i saw you like you moved backwards you were da- you weren't actually dancing you were just having backache is that what you say
2: i was just uh yeah yeah i was just i was just having a lot of <laughs> rheumatism yeah yeah no no i mean it's a it's it is it is uh it is a um uh you know, like I, of course, you know, I'm I am i I'm not old. I'm just no. um No it's <laughs> I'm just, uh, it's tough. Uh, I'm just it's wary tiring. that I'm just <laughs> wary of things that do I'm just wary of <laughs> the things that just take a lot take a lot out. Yes. Um and uh, you know, having stopped drinking, having stopped um sort of going out late, it's kind of that's that's definitely gonna prolong. Yeah, Prolong any kind of music career that we that we can have.
1: Do you feel like stopping drinking? Because I also stopped like seven years ago. I think it is now. You know, you stop counting after a while, which is kind of wonderful. um But you, do you feel like that's great? Yeah, th- th- thanks. I like don't acknowledge it as often as I should, but I think it's great too. But do you stopping drinking? Do you feel like especially with touring? it not only gives you a perspective on what you used to do, but it also kind of shows you how much you potentially didn't miss out. Cause obviously drinking is really social and all those things, but like, what have you, you what do you do now to replace that? Because I, I'm not necessarily saying like, do you sleep more? But it's more so like, how do you get that fix, you know, from being social and being out and, where do you get that inspiration from and that influence from when you aren't uh, partying? Like what has filled that void? Well, I mean,
2: you know, like being, touring is a fairly social thing. You know, like you you meet a lot of people and you're hanging out with the the, the band and the crew every day. Um, So I guess I'm not, you know, like one of the problems I had when I stopped drinking, we weren't on tour. We hadn't finished the album yet Mm. when I first stopped and I didn't leave the house. You know what yeah. I mean? I didn't. Yeah. I didn't know how to be in no. a bar. I didn't know how to, without drinking. I didn't know how to be, yeah. and I also didn't know where else to go. I yeah. don't drink coffee, so it's not <laughs> yes, really. Yes,
1: me too. It's
2: not, I'm not, so it's a. It's I sort know. of like uh, you know, I don't know. There's only so many museums and times we yeah. go to the cinema, but um. <laughs> no, you're so, an alien. Uh, you're an I alien. Just, I stopped. Go, yeah, I stopped going out and you know after dark really. Mm. Um, and I still <laughs> don't when we're not when we're not gigging, but um. But yeah, I uh, you know, um the not drinking is uh um is, is, it's changed a lot of things for the better, you know. Um so I don't really mind that you know, perhaps my social life, isn't as, my social calendar isn't as full as it used to be um, because of the, you know, the positive things that it's, it's actually had in my life.
1: I'm so glad to hear that as well, because, you know, it's not, I think that people just say like, oh, I stopped this or I stopped that. And stopping anything that has been such a habitual part of your life for so long is unbelievably challenging. And obviously it's this like age old thing like, oh, rock and roll, drinking, you know, but I, I just don't feel like it's that like that anymore. Not to say that like bands are pure, but do you feel like you could ever, like, do you feel like you ever could go back to that? Or do you feel like the clarity that you have right now is just too much to to ever dive back into that?
2: I mean, I don't want to go back to that, but I'm I'm not, I'm not going to ever say that. I'm never going to go back to that because mm-hmm. I think that's a recipe for um, <laughs> a disaster. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's uh, certainly a soundbite that will be used against me uh, <laughs> in the future. Um, I, you know, like I'm not... Uh, I, I'm not ever saying no to anything because I, I just don't... I don't think that's wise. Um, I think it creates a, a sort of... a, Especially in someone as... Um, that... That doesn't have a normal nine to five job, sure. and it has it's kind of like like saying, Oh no, you can't do that. That's that's a recipe for, <laughs> for disaster it's gonna make you want to do it, yeah,
1: yeah.
2: Because I'm like, I'm like, you know, like I'm, I'm still there's still a kind of a rebellious kind of spirit in me that that wants to kind of um that wants to kind of sort of say, you know, like sort ah, of good. um shout, Rage Against the Machine Line, yes. really loud in the air, <laughs> and, um, but uh, I, you know, like. I know 99.9% of my rational brain or my a hundred percent of my rational brain, but um, you know, like uh, even my irrational brain (laughs) Mm, knows that life is better without it. Um, It's just that, you know, like uh, I think it's probably best to just not set any rules.
1: But I feel like, especially as an artist, as you said, it like touring is so social and touring needs to be just fun And, like, without it, I feel like some people are like, oh, you're no fun because you're not acting like, you know, an arsehole running up and down, you know, with your pants (laughs) at your ankles, you know. Not to say that I ever did that, you know, (laughs) which I did. No, but you know what I mean? Like, there's so much about your personality that you form when you're young, and drinking is such a big part of that. But when it becomes almost demonic and it's taken over your body, you know then of course going back to it you know it's difficult to even think of going back to it but having that balance i can imagine is exactly what everybody wants right you you want that balance where you can stop it like a, just a glass or have it as a social thing or for the taste you know it's such a strange yeah i mean
2: i, I think it's still not uh, it's not enough distance between my last drink um uh, 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 and potentially my next uh, but where I would trust myself to just have one you know it's uh, uh that's part of the problem is that one was uh one one turned into 10 really fast sure. with me so sure. um so it's uh that's I think it's 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 either zero or zero for me yeah. <laughs> right now, those are the options so it's not as if i'm saying i can never drink again but i am saying that uh, the, the the amount of drink that i can have is zero
1: i mean no i i'm the same i just feel like my i just maybe i'm like projecting but i just feel like my skin was and this visual is weird and i don't know why i'm bringing it up but I almost feel like when I stopped my skin was like ripped off and everything was could penetrate inside like suddenly I became really I was always sensitive but I became really um you know almost like an empath feeling everything and all the things and like that helps creatively doesn't it like it helps a lot mm. to to do that so do you feel like now you you're able to approach writing after this time and shifting and putting this album out, and do you feel like you're approaching writing a little bit differently now?
2: Um, yeah, no, certainly with more clarity, that's for sure, you know. Um, I'm writing more and more willingly, I guess, mm. um, whereas you know there was a time when I was sort of like felt like it was uh, it was an obligation um
3: yeah
2: now it feels like i'm back to a place i don't mean that was always the case i mean it got to a stage i think over time where it became an obligation and now i feel like it's sort of gone full circle back to um feeling like it's you know it's my hobby again which is which is the way it, it really should be you know if you're doing something like this um then it should feel like your hobby not your job you know um um that's the real privilege of of, of 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 being in music or being you know making something artistic um is that is that it shouldn't Probably, although there are exceptions to prove the rule. I mean, Mm. Nick Cave goes to the office nine to five, and he's one of the greatest writers uh, of all time. Exactly. I know that doesn't that approach. I tried it. I got inspired by him. I got it. I I rented an office space, and and fuck me, I went like three times in six months. And that was Um, it. So it just. (laughs) wasn't my it just wasn't the way that I you know like it is but but trying it or getting it and knowing that it's there was enough to show me that that's not the way that I exactly that I I work yeah or or, or not working
1: but I and I love that like there is something amazing about especially looking at the trajectory of your career there's something amazing about having those shifts continuously you know like having I know you mentioned earlier on about having a space where you need to write and like you can't be, you know, you have to have your space. But there is something quite nice knowing that maybe in 10 years that space will look different. You know, like there, there is a like I wonder what creativity looks like when you are thinking of longevity as opposed to like this is what I'm doing right now, which a lot of bands feel like when they're stuck in a record label deal that they don't like, they probably feel really constricted and you know restricted and i feel like knowing you're at a point now where you're where i think it's interesting to look at creativity in a long-term sense rather than like fuck we need to make this you know third album a success you know which your third album was a success or you know we need to make each album a success i think that do you feel like the pressure's almost lessened over the years for you do you think
2: I think it probably has. I think there was sort of a, a, a re-upping, a revamping of the pressure b- before the release of this record. Um, not during the process of making it. I, I felt pressure about creating, but I didn't feel pressure from anybody else. Um, like not, nobody from the band, nobody from the label, nobody from management was beating down my door, telling me to you know pull my finger out and, yes. uh, and write some fucking songs. But before we released it, I felt the uh, some pressure, like, oh, "Do we are we relevant anymore? Yeah. Do we uh, do people going to be um, uh, excited about the record? Is it going to come out to a kind of a giant shrug, or you know, like what what you know what is what is what is going to happen?" And then you know, the record comes out, it does well. You know, the shows do really well. Everything you know, like everything is uh, starts to get back to an approximation of the normality of what went before so now i guess i feel a little bit like there's more stable ground underneath our feet but then again what is stable ground now exactly. you know it's yeah. like we're not we're not we're not in the same environment that it was 7 years ago we're not in the same environment that was 2 weeks ago you know it's totally. it's ever shifting mm. so you know like it's are you? Are we? You know, is one worried about um, relevancy, uh, or are you worried? Of, are you more concerned about making great records? And I think if it's the latter, then you're fine. Mm, um, yeah. And that's always been the case with us. We just, uh, we, you know, we just want to make great records. And and if they, if they work, they work. And if they don't, then you know, it's it's it wasn't meant to be. It's just. Uh, I think trying to second guess what people want to listen to is a fool's errand, really.
1: Oh my gosh! Of course, because you can't—you can never figure it out. I mean, even as a listener yourself, you're a you're a music fan also, which it sounds like. And uh, and yeah. it, you know, it's so hard to know what you're going to like. If somebody had to ask you, what do you like? I mean, it's impossible to answer that, especially in this day and age when our minds are kind of being. They're elasticized, you know, right now, because we're so open to so much more um, than we were. It's just pure because there's just more accessibility. But do you think going forward and having a record like this out, have other bands approached you more? Like, how how open have you been about bands talking to you about the issues that they've gone through, or maybe even just people like, do you, do you hear a lot of stories from fans, uh, you know, if, of, of their interpretation of your music and what it's done to them?
2: Yeah. I think we, you know, like we get a, a you know, like we talk to a lot of people after the shows and we I get oh, letters do? and, um, you know, get tweets and things like that too. But um, so you, you, you know, you feel it feels like this record is connected with our fans more than more than any other record that we've ever released in, in so many different ways and it's it's a beautiful thing. Mm. Um as far as other bands go, I do a lot of work um in Northern Ireland with uh, young and up and coming bands, um uh and talking to them. Um it seems like we're part of a conversation that was already all ongoing
3: Mm. Um,
2: and people a lot smarter than me uh, have, you know, like have a lot more to say about mental health and things like that. But it's, it's, it's definitely continued the conversation about it. And Northern Ireland has the, of, of everywhere in the UK and, and Ireland, uh, Northern Ireland has the highest suicide rate. It has the highest rate of depression. Oh, it wow. has the highest rate of anxiety. It has the highest rate of anyone. And it's mm. because the main reason why it's higher than everywhere else is because of the, the trauma, the collective trauma mm. that we all experience. Even people that – even the kids that in the new generation that haven't lived through the troubles are, are – are, f- the, there's this remnant – the, of 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 yeah. trauma that is um, that's being sort of undiscussed, untalked about, un un uh, expressed, um, because we have always been taught. Certainly, my generation, the generations that uh, came before it, have always been taught. You know, this kind of keep calm and carry on oh my mentality. <laughs> that, that is. Oh. You know, if I see a mug <laughs> with we'll keep calm up. and carry on, and I smash just want to smash it. Um <laughs> It's a uh, I know. It's so fucking stupid. It's I won't say that it's never appropriate because, of course, it came for. It's a slogan during the Second World War. Exactly. Uh, of yeah. course, at a time of war, it is important that you know, like, you can't, everyone can't just run around sure. and you know, like, um, be um, be unhinged.
3: Yeah. We've yeah. all got to
2: get together in those times. Yeah. But at a time when we have some time for reflection. Um, you can't spend your whole life um, ruminating on your own problems. But when we have some time for reflection, we must take that time um, yeah. to, to, to try and unravel the traumas that went before, and when you have one that actually uh, you know um enveloped an entire country mm. like like we did, like you did
3: it yeah. is um
2: it is something that is that that is that is really important we start talking about it, and we and people have started talking about it and 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 i'm I'm very glad to be part of that conversation but uh I certainly wasn't the first person to ever <laughs> talk no, about it's and a it the of- last.
1: Yeah, it's Uh, a lot um, of responsibility uh, That you've had as well But I feel like you've stepped up to that um, And owned it within yourself You know, I think like Steve Didn't Stephen Fry said somewhere Sometime he was like heightened self-consciousness And like he used the word apartness Which I like Like that inability to join in You know, and it's not all bad You know, and I think that obviously That keep calm and carry on Is such a tokenism of something So so dangerous you know you can't you can't just have celery juice and feel better or you know do meditation mm-hmm. and feel better it's a constant it's it's constant work yeah. so i love that you're doing that is there like an organization that you are working with particularly or is it just you're just working independently there are
2: there are ma- there are many and uh, actually okay. there'll be some announcements uh to later on the year um about some things but uh oh, wonderful but uh they're you know like in terms of like working with uh bands in northern ireland you know we uh, I have the third bar artist development with me and my friend Davey Matchett set that up 10 years ago and you know just trying to help bands um avoid the pitfalls of that we fell into in our first 10 years as a band you know we got ripped off by lawyers we got ripped off by promoters we got you know uh, uh record labels we got dropped to get you know all the things that we that we Maybe sort of went through that 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 you're that you want to try and like you can't avoid no, entirely, but no. uh, but you you can help some people not sort of step in every single bear trap yeah. that we seem to step into. <laughs>
3: yes,
2: you know all that scene yeah. in The Simpsons where uh, <laughs> uh, where sideshow Bob, like every yeah. time he moves his foot, he, he steps in a rig and he hits his face. So that that was our first ten years. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And lastly, I just want to end off. Uh, you know, if anybody. I think that speaking out on things, you know, you've, you've of course become a voice for it, but it isn't obviously everything that you are. But if people are feeling, you know, like uh, just that they have that rake attached to their body and that things are just going wrong, not necessarily even in the art scene, but just generally, what do you feel is a, is something that opened your mind? I know that it's a whole conversation in itself and we're wrapping up now, but is there something that you would turn to maybe like a, a mantra or something that just makes you remember? Well, you know?
2: I know the thing that, I know the thing that changed uh, me, uh, that, that, that helped me the most. And uh, like, I spent 40 years not talking about the stuff that was going on in my, uh, inside my head. Yeah. And, um, and the last few years I've opened up about all that stuff and like being in therapy and um, just talk to friends and things. I think the difference between not talking and talking was so extreme that that's the best piece of advice that I could give anybody. If you're going through something, it's really, really important to talk about it with somebody. I don't think it's the be all and end all. There's so many different things that, that, that will help so many different people. Um, in different ways. We all have to find our own path out of the darkness. Mm. But talking is is like a vital component because if you're not telling anybody about it, then nobody knows to help, you know? And it's only every no- a once in a blue moon that you're gonna get somebody that just reaches into your life and helps you, even though you've not asked. You can't wait for that, yeah. you know?